can't think of another place I'd rather be than with all of you worshiping our Savior. And again, we welcome all of you in. We welcome all of you who may be listening online, watching our video, or listening to our podcast. Thank you for joining us on this Easter Sunday morning. You too are a part of our extended family. We welcome you right in, and we trust that God has a word for you as well. Today we're pushing pause on our sermon series from the Gospel of Mark, which we've been in since like January of 220, I don't even know. We've been in this like a long time. We're pushing pause on the sermon series, okay? And today we are jumping into the Gospel of Matthew. It's just a great story of the resurrection. Matthew chapter 28 today, verses 1 through 10. The words are on the screen, and I invite you to follow along. After the Sabbath, at the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning, and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples, He has risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. Suddenly Jesus met them. Greetings, he said. They came to him, clasped his feet, and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. The word of God for the people of God. Let us pray. Lord and God, come to us. Speak to us. Help this Easter to be different. Help us to be different tomorrow and the next day and the next week and the next month and the next year and the rest of our lives because of what has happened today. Lord, we ask for nothing less than a miracle, than a revival in our hearts, a resurrection in our souls. So come, Holy Spirit, come. Guide us, lead us, speak to us, encourage us, exhort us, comfort us, challenge us according to your will and our need. We pray it in the strong name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. Friends, this morning we celebrate the greatest event of all human history, the greatest miracle that ever took place. Some 2,000 years ago today, Jesus was raised from the dead. Amen? Amen. And life has never been the same since. The angels told the women at the tomb, Do not be afraid, for I for I know you are looking for Jesus, who was crucified. He is not here. He is risen, just as he said. All four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, attest to this truth, this fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, For what I received I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ 
died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he raised, was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Peter and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers at the same time. Friends, this is no hoax. This is no hallucination. Jesus appeared to the multitudes. He has risen. Paul said Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. Wow! I've never heard of a man rising from the dead. When I go to the cemetery, all those graves are still covered up. I don't see anyone that's been broken loose and has come back to life. It's not common for a person, maybe even for Jesus, to be coming back from the dead. This is groundbreaking, literally. Matthew says there was a violent earthquake. Literally, the, the earth was shaking. The ground was breaking. An angel of the Lord came from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. The angel shines with the glory of God. His appearance, we read, was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. I mean, this is like oxy-clean bleach and it's empty green. I mean, this is, he's so white and shiny. Now, the guards, they didn't know what to make of it. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Don't you just love the irony here? Jesus Christ, who was put to death three days earlier, is alive and well, and the Roman guards are trembling in fear and frozen as if they were dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is both brilliant like this angel, and it is shocking at the same time. But what's to keep someone from saying, lucky for Jesus? I mean, he raised from the dead. Good for him. What does it have to do with me and my life today? What good does the resurrection of Jesus some 2,000 years ago, what does it have to do with me in 2023? I mean, good for Jesus. I'm glad for him, but... What about my life here today? Maybe you've asked that same question. What difference does it make? How will today make any difference on tomorrow? It's a great question. So as your pastor, let me tell you. There are at least four things, four good news things to unpack here. What does the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead mean for you and me? You might want to grab your outline and a pen or pencil and fill it in as we go. Number one, it means the word of God is true. Say it with me. It means the word of God is true. Jesus had predicted his death and resurrection three times. In Mark 8, chapter 31, he then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Say it with me. After three days rise again. Jesus is referring to himself as the Son of Man. He's talking about himself. In Mark chapter 9, verse 31, the next chapter, he said to them, the Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They will kill him, and after three days he will rise again. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus for a third time predicts his death. We are going to Jerusalem. The Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priest, teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and they will hand him over to the Gentiles. They will mock him and spit on him and kill him and flog him. And three days later, he will rise. Say it with me. 
Three days later, he will rise. Jesus is speaking about himself. He is predicting his own death and resurrection. Now, if I said to you, um, this coming Friday, I'm going to die, and, but I'm going to be raised on Sunday morning next week, okay? So don't worry about services. I'll be here in time. I'll be back in time, you know, to preach a sermon. So, now, what if I said to you that that was going to happen to me? And then it actually came true. What would that do to my credibility? You would go, wow, maybe pastor has some connection that I don't. He might know something that I don't. Well, obviously, it's not about me, but Jesus Jesus has a connection. Jesus knows some things that we don't. He has a power that we do not. He is the only one who could predict his death with absolute clarity and be raised again from the dead. Do you know what that means for everything else that Jesus said? For all of the other sayings of Jesus, all of the other promises of Jesus that are expressed through Scripture? they can be believed to. If this ultimate claim about death and resurrection came true, as Jesus prophesied it would, then everything else is no match for the resurrection power of Jesus. Everything else is true. You know, the Old Testament prophesies, there are over 300 prophecies about this future Messiah, a, a Savior, a, anointed by God, and prophecies about where Jesus would be born, where He would live, the sacrifice He would make, uh, His death on a cross, even riding into Jerusalem on a donkey was prophesied hundreds of years before it happened. Jesus being beaten and whipped and scourged, and then His resurrection was also prophesied. What the Old Testament conceals, Jesus reveals. In fact, Jesus fulfills all 300 of these prophecies perfectly without question. It's amazing. There's a connection there to something greater. It's no coincidence God is true to His Word. What does this mean for you and me? It means we can trust the Word of God. We ought to know this morning, if there's anything that we take away from this message, it is that the Word of God is absolutely 100% true. Amen? In a world that is crumbling, in a world that is shaky, in a world in which our future seems so uncertain, we can be 100% sure that the Word of God is the foundation upon which we may build our lives, and it is not shaken. Jesus told a parable about a wise and a foolish man. The wise man built his house on rock, the foolish man on sand. When the storms came, the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, the wise man's house stood. The one that was beat on, built on the sand fell. Jesus is saying, build your life on my word. My word is reliable it is true, it is infallible in all that it teaches, it is eternal, and you can bank on my word. Kind of makes you want to dig into the Bible, doesn't it? So you know what? Maybe you got a Bible at home and you haven't opened it for a while. Maybe there's some dust on it and you got to you know, clean it off, but, but maybe, you, maybe today is a day to renew that commitment to God's word and, and just start in the book of Mark or the book of John and, and read through it. There's it's just so many good things in there and promises from God that you can build your life on. Amen? The, word, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it means that the 
The word of God is true. Number two, the resurrection of Jesus Christ means that the weary are transformed. Just say it with me. It means that the weary are transformed. Can you imagine how Jesus' disciples felt at his crucifixion? Put yourself back into their shoes, into their sandals, and imagine yourself for a moment having followed Jesus for three years of your life, given your life to him, listening to his teachings, following Jesus around throughout the countryside and taking in all of his teaching, all of his authority, all of his miracles. And then, and then, the man whom you had such high hopes in, that you believed was the Messiah, the, the Son of God, the one sent from the Lord, the Christ, the christened one. Imagine now he's put to death. He's killed. What do you do? <sighs> maybe he wasn't the one, right? What would you think? What would you feel? Maybe, maybe we just wasted three years of our life following around this ordinary guy. Peter said, you know what? I'm going to go fishing. Read John chapter 21. I'm going to go fishing. Let's just go back to the old way of life because this apparently was a big hoax, a big... No. Then comes the news that no one expected. They're hiding in an upper room, afraid that they may be next to be crucified, and there's a knock on the door, and it's Mary. She's talking a mile a minute. Slow down, Mary. Articulate your words. Mary, we can't understand. Tomb, tomb, angel, angel, bright, like a blinding light. The tomb is empty. She finally spits it out. He is risen. And Jesus says, he wants to meet you, my disciples. I want to meet you in Galilee. Go there and you'll meet Jesus. And in that moment, in that moment, hope is born. And the weary are transformed. How many of you know that life has a way of beating us up and beating us down? It's hard. We live in a broken, fallen, busted world. Not the way God intended it to be from the beginning. Some of you have lost loved ones. Some of you may still be grieving deeply. Some of you are hurting today. Some of you may feel a bit lost in your life. Some of you may be struggling with a particular sin or an addiction or just a bad habit or maybe you just don't seem to find any hope in life, and you wonder, what's the point in the whole thing? Well, boy, do I have some really, really good news for you today. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it gives hope to the weary. Here's what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5. He says, we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that the suffering that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. Some of you remember the late Jack Geist. His wife Shirley played piano at our early service for countless years. And whenever uh, we went through something kind of difficult, Jack would say to me in my early years of ministry here, he'd say, well, it's 
character building, pastor. It's character building. Going through hardships. How many of you know that? It builds character. There are a couple of different ways to handle hardship. Some people uh, uh, get better and other people get bitter. But if we keep our hearts open to the Lord, He works, He promises to work in our lives and our hearts, and He can take even the worst of situations and turn it around for good. How many of you know God works all things together for good? Amen? And Paul goes on to say in Romans 8, 18, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. In other words, he's, he's not making light of our present sufferings. He's not saying, oh, what you're going through isn't really that tough or that. No, it is. It's, really, it's deeply hard. It's deeply difficult. And yet Paul has the audacity to say, it's just that in light of the glory that is coming, that we will experience in Christ one day when we finally reach our heavenly home, he said all of these things just pale in comparison. They're not even, you can't even compare them. They're just not, it's not. The resurrection of Jesus Christ transforms our perspective and our person. Friends, a new day is coming. The sun will come out tomorrow. Life on planet earth is far from perfect. We live in a broken, fallen world, and we suffer the effects of this brokenness every day of our lives. Back pain, deteriorating health, difficult relationships, trouble with coworkers and bosses, the loss of loved ones, the tragedy strikes, loved ones die. But in Jesus Christ, we can conquer anything and everything. Amen? And I got up to tell you this morning that if Jesus Christ can conquer death, then anything on this side of the grave is no match for the resurrection power of Jesus. We're going to talk more about that in our upcoming sermon series. You may be feeling weary today, but in Christ there is hope. The resurrection of Jesus Christ means that the word of God is true. It means that the weary are transformed. Thirdly, it means that the way of life is thrown open. Just say it with me. The way of life is thrown open. Some people believe that when you die, you die, that's it. Kind of lights on, lights off. You know, you die like an animal and that's the end of it. Many of you have lost some loved ones. Probably everyone in this room has lost somebody that you love. Maybe it was a mother, a father, a grandmother, a grandpa, a sibling, a friend, a spouse. Paul says, don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Say it with me. We too may live a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will also certainly be united with him in his resurrection. Anybody here have a green thumb? Let me see your thumb. Got a green thumb? Mine is not green, okay? Mine is not green. I'm not a really, even though I'm a farm boy, I'm not real clever with some of those kinds of things. Are you going to plant a garden this spring? Going to put a garden in? Okay, what you gonna, what you going to put in there? Some veggies, some beans, green beans, okay? You're going to plant some strawberry, put some strawberry plants in maybe, okay? Maybe a tomato plant or two, okay, see if you can get some nice big red tomatoes. Sometimes you put those seeds in the ground in springtime and you wonder are they even going to come up? Are those seeds going to germinate? Are they going to produce a plant? Are they going to produce fruit at all? And you kind of watch over that garden and maybe you water it and you maybe even put a little fertilizer 
on that. You know, chickens have some good fertilizer, you know. Maybe you watch and you wait and you hope that just something one day is going to pop through that ground. And then you see it. Ha! Those bean plants, they're coming up. Or that strawberry, that cluster of strawberries, there's a strawberry underneath those leaves there. I can see it. Maybe there's a tomato, a, a little green tomato that's starting to form. And you're like, oh, whew, I did it. Because you know that where there's one, there's going to be more, right? One strawberry is an indication you're going to have a whole bunch. Maybe there's one grape on the vine or just one little cluster. There's going to be more. There's going to be more. So too with Jesus. Here's what, um, here's what Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15. Christ has indeed been raised from the dead. The first fruits, say it with me, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as an Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made in life. But each in his own turn, Christ the first fruits. Say it with me. First fruits. Then when he comes, those who belong to him. For those of you who've lost loved ones, for those of you who pine over a spouse that is no longer with you, today is really, really good news. Because this way of life has been opened up by Jesus. And the best news yet, it's not just eternal life insurance for the life here after this one. It's life here and now. Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. Amen? Abundantly. That's life here and now. Uh, Jesus goes on, or the New Testament goes on, excuse me, to talk about the fruits of the Spirit. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. He was on earth for a period of about 40 days and then he ascended into heaven. And about 10 days later, he gave us his spirit and he poured out his spirit upon us because Jesus, as one person, one human being, even though he was divine, could still only be in one place at one time. He pours out his spirit so that he can, he can put a little of Jesus in each one of us by his spirit. He can be all over, all at the same time, all around the world. And in that spirit that he gives you, he gives you fruits he gives fruits to the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. There are nine of them. They're listed in Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Who would not want those fruits? Who would not want those virtues, those qualities in your life? I mean, unless you're a grumpy old man or the Scrooge. I mean, we, those are good qualities, right? Amen. And they're life-giving, each and every one of those. I was talking to Chuck and Pam last week after the service. They had just gotten back from their trip down to the Smoky Mountains. They were in Pigeon Forge for a, a car show uh, the other week and um, had a great time. We were talking about that. Now, I had, some of you remember, I was in the Smoky Mountains last summer, and uh, so we were kind of comparing notes a little bit and talking, and Chuck, and Chuck and Pam were saying, you know, it's amazing that people can, can the, the construction crews can build these roads that go up, they wind through deep thick forests, they, they go up mountains, they, you can drive to the top of the mountain and see all these incredible views and vistas, uh, and, uh, but we're so glad that they did, that somebody had the courage to, to build that road. It wasn't easy. It could have been easy to build houses on the side of cliffs. There's, there's on the top of these mountains, there's like a whole mall up there. There's all kinds of stuff. You've been to Gatlinburg, you've been to the Smokies, you know what I'm talking about, but we're so glad that somebody forged a road up those mountains. Because now we 
people like you and me or ordinary tourists or whoever, we get to enjoy the views and the vistas of being up on the mountaintop. That's exactly what Jesus did. He built a road. He forged a way. He threw open the way to life for you and me. And if you haven't yet received Jesus as your Savior and Lord, may today be the day. Because there's way too much at stake here, not only in the life you're after, but in this life. You're missing out without Christ without the blessings, without the fruits of His Spirit in your life. It doesn't mean that Christians are perfect or that we're better than anybody else. No, we're all struggling together. But it just means that we have hope and we have life. The resurrection of Jesus Christ, it, it means that the Word of God is true, that the weary are transformed, that the, the way of life is thrown open for us. And fourthly, it means... That the witness must be told. Say it with me. The witness must be told. Returning to Matthew 28, what does the angel command the women at the empty tomb to do? The angel says, come and see where he lay, where Jesus was. Then go quickly and tell his disciples. Tell them. The women hurried away. They ran from the tomb and afraid yet filled with joy. And they ran to tell his disciples about Jesus. What a shame it would be if those who were privy and witnessing to the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if these women had gone to that tomb that morning with all these spices to anoint him, and they just said, well, there's no Jesus here. What, what are we going to What do we do now? We, got all, we bought all these spices. We paid a lot of money for this in the marketplace. And now... You know what? Maybe we should just go back to the marketplace and maybe we can return the spices. We haven't used any. And, I mean, or maybe we can anoint, you know, put them on ourselves a little bit, spice up. Let's go back to the market. You know, I need a new pair of shoes, new pair of sandals. And, uh, you know, so I, I just, you know, let's do that. You know what? I just don't feel like telling anybody anything today. It's kind of been a long week, you know. That'd be crazy. That'd be absolutely crazy, be insane. No, you see somebody who's risen from the dead, you go and you tell somebody. You proclaim it to everyone as, as, as much as you can. And I think this whole area of witnessing for us as believers, it's, it's something that we often feel uncomfortable with and we kind of shrink back from it and we, we get sweaty palms. We, the idea of maybe talking, mentioning the name Jesus to somebody in the break room at work or in the classroom, that's, that's like, you know, it's like a sin or something. We think, I mean, no, no. When Jesus is alive and in, in, in your life, you, you want to tell people. You want to tell people. He's alive. The tomb is empty. And you know, there's a great part of this passage that must not be overlooked. For people like you and me who struggle with witnessing and maybe to tell others about Jesus, what happens? What happens when they started running, when they, sent, when they started out on their witness? What happens in this passage? Did you catch it? Verse 9 and 10 tells us that on their way, even as they ran to tell the disciples, afraid yet filled with joy, there was kind of two things, we're afraid too sometimes, Jesus met them. Say it with me. Jesus met them. Jesus meets them in their fear. 
He says, greetings. <laughs> they came to him. They clasped his feet and worshiped him. And then he said, do not be afraid. Say it with me. Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers in Galilee. There they will see me. Jesus meets them in their fear, in the middle of their witnessing, in their apprehension, in all of their hesitation. Even though they were running, they were afraid, yet filled with joy, and they were fearful, and yet Jesus comes to them right in that moment. And he meets them there. And that was all the inspiration they needed to run even faster and further. I remember when I was a part of the InterVarsity chapter, uh, InterVarsity Christian Fellowship chapter at Grand Valley State College, my first year in college out there in Allendale, Michigan. And um, I was a part of the InterVarsity chapter there. We had a, a leader named Brian Kyle who was encouraging us as students to, to be more active in our faith and to actually share our faith, which is something like, we was like, uh, I don't know if I can do that. You know, I don't want to, I can't mention the name Jesus to a stranger. You know, that would be, and we were challenged to, to kind of talk to other people on campus. There was a student center and kids hung out there all the time. So one afternoon, a few of us met there with Brian. We prayed together and we were kind of sent out and uh, we, um, we met with, uh, a few people, and I, I found one of the guys on my, in my dorm. His name was Brian Morris. I'll never forget it. And um, I was, you know, my palms were sweaty. You know, I probably had sweat dripping down my face. I mean, I was like so nervous about this whole thing. And then I kind of broached the subject and asked if it would be okay if I shared a little bit of my faith, and he said, yes. Are you sure? Did I hear you right? You really want to hear about my, yes, okay. So, and I talked to him, and you know what? The words came to me. God's spirit was so alive in that moment and so present, and I found myself sharing words that I had never, I didn't even know I had. I mean, I, verses sort of came to me that were just a part of my past or something, and I was able to, to share and to speak in the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that, that is just amazing. And the point here is that God, Jesus, meets us even in our fears and our apprehension. Who do you know that needs to know about the risen Lord Jesus? Somebody you work with, a family member, a friend, a spouse, a significant other, a child, a grandchild. And today, Jesus is encouraging us and challenging us to say, you be my witness. You be my witness. You have the ability to make an eternal difference in someone's life. The word of God is true. The weary are transformed. The way of life is thrown open. And the witness must be told. And finally, Jesus says, now tell my brothers and sisters, tell, tell them to go to Galilee. There they will meet me. I will meet them in Galilee is what he's saying. You know what that means? It means to me that Jesus wants to have a personal encounter with you, with each one of us. It means that Jesus is saying, I'm going to meet you. He didn't just rise and say, that's it, and ascend to heaven. No, he spent time on this earth so that we could meet the resurrected Jesus. His disciples could be encouraged by the fact that Jesus is saying, ha, I'm alive. <laughs> Here I am, I'm back. <laughs> but Jesus is saying, I want to meet you. He wants to meet you. 
in Galilee. What was Galilee? Galilee, for these early disciples, was the place where most of them had grown up. Galilee was like their home turf. It was kind of where their families were, where they had went to school probably, where they had worked for many years probably before meeting Jesus. I mean, Galilee was their ordinary life. And Jesus is saying, I want to meet you right in the ordinariness of your life, in your home, in your family, in your marriage, in your relationships, in your job, in your schooling, in your studies, in your future, in your planning. I want to meet you right where you live, in your Galilee. Would you open your heart to Jesus today? Maybe this is the first time you've been in church in a long time. You're like, you know what? I need to recommit. I need to recommit to Jesus first and foremost. I, I've been living my life almost like an atheist. I, I say I believe and, you know, I send the kids off, you know, but what about me? I need to lead by example. Would you open your heart today? to commit, maybe for the first time, maybe for the 100th time, or to recommit to Jesus and to dedicate yourself to Him. You can see how this message has touched Leighton so much right here. He's just so, he's getting all choked up over it, you know, so. He's good. There we go. Thanks, Leighton. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day, for an opportunity to worship you this morning, for an opportunity to celebrate the greatest event of all human history. Thank you for giving us that event. Uh, Lord, there's a lot of things that occupy our days and our time and our interest, and, and Lord, we give ourselves to a lot of fun things and parades and festivals all year long, but Lord, um, this one is different. This one is the granddaddy of all of them, and Lord, without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, uh, simply and purely, we'd have no hope. But Father, because Jesus lives, we too can live. We can face tomorrow. So come, Lord Jesus, come. Do your work and your will in our lives, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing.